Thank you. It's my uh, joy and privilege to be here uh, this evening. The pastors encouraged me to give a little window to the world tonight, and then I, uh, he's going to come and receive a missionary offering. I began preaching and teaching when I was 18 years old, and I've been about this now for, uh, for 32 years, and I thank the Lord for the opportunity. I grew up in the Assemblies of God, still a Assemblies of God minister, and probably will be and. Till either I go to be with the Lord or the Lord comes to be with me. And I thank God for that. The Assemblies of God is made up of 65 million members worldwide. It's the largest denomination in the world. And we thank God for that. Amen? But you know there's almost 700 million Pentecostals and Charismatics in the world. And so our fellowship doesn't quite make up 10% of the Pentecostal Charismatics in the world. And so I... um, a number of years ago, I got connected with some uh, key evangelicals when I was serving at the Assemblies of God headquarters. And I look back on that, that little window at the time in 1994, and I have looked back and I've come to understand that small doors can open into big rooms. And so I stepped through a small door in 1994, and I got into another room. And now, I've been over there in that room for a little while. And I still haven't found the end of the room. Let me use it a different way. I grew up in a fishbowl, and you did too. I grew up in one, and one day uh, that little fish jumped out of the fishbowl and got into the ocean. Now, when I was in the fishbowl, I was told that was all there was. That was the ocean. But I jumped out of that little bowl, and I landed in the ocean. And I've never found the end of the ocean. It's what I call the global church. And I alluded to that in passing uh, this morning. God is doing an amazing work all over the world. And I hope this week I can stir us up to become students of the global church. You can do homework on the internet. And you can get a little more acquainted with what God is doing. If you want to know what the Lord is up to, just look at what he's raising up. And you'll know what he's up to. He's up to things that are beyond our, our normal understanding of here in the West. And so 10 years ago, this coming January, uh, Dr. Bill Bright and I, um, Bill Bright was a uh, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. He went to be the Lord in 2003, in the summer of 2003, and he was an amazing brother in Christ. He grew up as a Presbyterian. I grew up as a Pentecostal brother, and, and, um, and we were just like um, father, son. It was a wonderful time that he and I had together. And out of that relationship uh, began a network, and we just believed that we could achieve more together than we could ever achieve by ourselves. One plus one doesn't always equal two. In the marriage relationship, it could equal three. It could equal four. Some, it could equal ten. And then one day, the little bank said, whoa, we didn't mean to multiply that high. Uh, But that's what's called synergy. And out of synergy, you can achieve more together than we could ever achieve by ourselves. We will never achieve anything of real significance alone. It's always more exciting to do it with somebody else. So 10 years ago, the network began. Today, there's more than 1,300 different denominations and Christian organizations involved in the network. The Lord is using it in a significant way. Now, I volunteer my time to the network. This is a way that I, as a Christian, can sow 
what I believe is a gift into the body of Christ and ask the Lord to multiply it. And he has been doing that. So let me give you just a couple of windows into that world. In West Africa, now in Africa as a whole, Christianity is flourishing. By 2040, Africa will be a Christian continent by 2040. 200 years ago, it was called the Dark Continent. It's no longer called the Dark Continent today. Christianity is going north. And as Christianity makes its way into northern Africa, above that is the Middle East. And where the gospel started, it will return. And the Lord is going to build His church in the Middle East. Understand that. He's raising up people already in the Middle East that want to take the gospel to the hard places. But in West Africa... Nigeria. Nigeria is a prosperous nation. There's a lot of Christian denominations, organizations that have originated out of Nigeria, and they're literally going all over the world. Let me give you the window into one of those. The overseer, his name is Enoch Adeboye. Enoch Adeboye. He's 68 years old. He's the general overseer of what's called the Redeemed Christian Church of God. Now, most of us here in North America have never heard of Enoch, don't know anything about the Redeemed Christian Church of God. The organization's almost 70 years old. It's almost 70 years old. It's, uh, I would say 99.8% of their doctrine is exactly the same way as our doctrine. But they are starting churches all over the world. They have more than 80,000 churches in their denomination in the world. They're starting over 400 churches a year in the United States of America. Two years ago, they bought 600 acres of land just north of Dallas to build a Christian university to help evangelize America. I say, Lord, bring all the people you can. We need all the help we can get. Amen? Because frankly, the end is that we just want to finish the Great Commission. And the Lord is sending people right here to the United States of America. And they're sending out of the Redeemed Christian Church. They're going all over, all over the world. I remember hearing that Enoch was going to be in Baltimore. He was passing through and, and I was down south. And I reached out to him and said, could I have just one hour of your time? If I could have just an hour with you, Enoch, I just counted a, a deep privilege. And, and he granted me that hour. I got on a plane. I flew and had lunch and turned around and flew back and, and began a relationship with Enoch at Iboye. And as I was Leaving that lunch, he said to me, he said, would you come to our prayer meeting? And I said, well, I'd be honored to come to your prayer meeting. And it's the first week of December. He said, are you sure you're going to come? I said, I'm coming. It's, uh, it's the largest prayer meeting in the world. They average 3.1 million people at the prayer meeting. Uh, it's the largest prayer meeting in the world. Now, now, they don't get started praying until half past midnight. And, uh, and, and then they really pray. And they pray for all the mega offices of the world They pray for the supernatural. They pray for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. They pray that Jesus Christ will be the most recognized name on earth. And to be a part of that prayer meeting and to minister there was uh, life-changing for me. But all I know is that God is using a man like Enoch in Nigeria to help impact the world. But also in Nigeria is another man. His name is Adamola Ishola. He's a Southern Baptist leader. He's... uh, been the general overseer of the Nigerian Baptist Convention. They have about 12,000 churches in Nigeria and probably 40,000 or so around the world. It's the second largest Southern Baptist Convention uh, in the world. It's in Nigeria. Well, here is Adamola who lives in Nigeria. Here is Enoch that lives in Nigeria, but they've never met each other. They've never gotten to know each other. I made four trips to Nigeria. 
to set up a summit. We did that in 18 months. Nigeria's not right around the corner. You've got to take a little while to get there and back. And finally, we were able to get Enoch and Adamola together in a lunch meeting. And then we had a, a summit together. And I remember Adamola, a Southern Baptist leader, looking over to Enoch, Attaboy, a Pentecostal leader, and say, would you come and speak at our seminary? Our seminarians, our students need to hear. They need to be challenged to believe God for great things. And I remember Enoch looking at Adamola and said, it would be an honor uh, for me to come and minister to your students at the seminary. Last October, the nation celebrated 50 years of independence, and Enoch and Adamola Ishola together worked together in an initiative to help take the gospel into northern Africa. That is my role in the body of Christ. Here's a man named Enoch. Here's a man, Adamola, and they got together, tied a knot relationally to do the work that God has called them to do. If you were to ask me tonight what I consider to be the darkest place in the world, I would tell you the darkest place in the world is in northern India. Between Pakistan and Nepal, there are 400 million people there, and 310 of the largest unreached people groups of all the world live in northern India. We started going there every first week of September a couple years ago. We'll be there, Lord willing, next September, next September, until those 310 unreached people groups are adopted. So a year ago, September, we went up there, and there's a wonderful pastor friend of mine who lives in Michigan. I said, I want to encourage you to go. He says, "Uh, James, um, how are we going to get there? I said, well, well, you could walk. I don't recommend it. You could take a boat. That's a long way. I I said, we're going to fly. He says, James, I can't stand flying. And I said, well, I'm just giving you options. He said, which way do you think we're going to go? I said, I think um, probably fly out of Chicago. He said, how long is that flight? 15 hours and 20 minutes. Now, when somebody's able to be real specific with you about something like that, it's probably because they've been on that trip before. And so, so I said uh, to Dan, I said, Dan, I really think you need to go. And he went. And I was there. And, and we had a conversation. Remember now, I'm just giving you two windows of the world. Now we're in northern India. And I said, I think we ought to go. And we were there. And there was over 500 key leaders representing more than 130 unreached people groups in the room in northern India. And there were some other pastors there, but Dan was there. And they began a conversation about the need of a training center on the Nepal-India border, way up north. There is no such thing as a training center today in that part of the world for any denomination or fellowship. That's how dark. And so they began this conversation. All of a sudden, Dan says, hey, you know, I think our church ought to build that training center up there. I think our church ought to be the one to help fund it and build that training center along the Nepal and India border. And so he went back home and he said, um, uh, I really feel our church will be the one that uh, builds that training center up there. I said, however, they're killing Christians up there. They're burning churches down up there. But I wonder how many will go with me. And hands went up all over the building. He said, I don't think you understand what I'm telling you. I, they're killing people up there and, and it's pretty dark up there. How many want to go? And hands went up all over the building. And they are raising money. They're broken ground on the, uh, on the border of Nepal and India to build the very first training center in one of the darkest places in the world. That's what I do. My role is to help get the right people together to achieve something they can never do by themselves. And I plan to stay on that assignment until I either go be with the Lord or the Lord comes back for us. And so your giving tonight is compounded. I travel about 48 weeks a year. On an average. And that's what we're about. A few weeks ago, I was on my way to the airport. My wife and two daughters were in the car. And and I was about to get out of the car. And my oldest daughter, 
Olivia was looking at me and I said, um, Olivia, is there anything you'd like to ask me before I get out of the car? We're about a mile from the airport. And she said, yes, Daddy. She says, why is it that you have to go? Why is it that you have to go? And I said to my daughter, I said, because people are lost. And it is our responsibility, it is my responsibility, do whatever we can to tell as many people as we can before it is eternally too late. You know, when we get to heaven, we're going to have an exciting time in heaven. But there's one thing we won't do in heaven, and that is to win souls to Jesus Christ. Whatever we're going to do, we do now. And I want to say thank you for your generosity and giving. And we're going to do our best to tie knots all over the world to build a net so that we in the body of Christ can catch a great harvest for the cause of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your generosity and giving. We say thank you for your giving tonight. And you know, um, in the last six years in the body of Christ globally, almost 1.3 million churches have been planted in the global church. We only have 400,000 churches in America. We thank God for that. Three times as many churches that we have in North America in the last six years have been planted all over the world. Does that sound like recession to you? <laughs> no. It's in times like these that people ramp up and believe God and go and do the work that God has called them to do. These are the greatest days of global expansion. Well, since you have God's word, turn with me to the gospel according to Isaiah. Isaiah's gospel tonight, Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50, I'll give you a moment to find it. If you think about it in the days ahead, pray for the church of the Nazarene. They are right now praying for their new world missions director. One who's been serving for over 20 years as the director is transitioning. And so they are, they're praying earnestly right now for a, a new world missions director. Would you do that? If the Holy Spirit brings that to your mind, pray for the church of the Nazarene. They're at world headquarters in Kansas City. God will bring the right leader to take them onward and upward. I thank God for those, uh, those brothers who love Jesus with all their heart and uh, really want to be a part of doing what God has called the body of Christ to do. The one who's transitioning, his name is Louis, and he's a phenomenal kingdom brother, and he's going to be serving in the network as co-chair of Global Resources. He wants to spend the rest of his life finding the best resources in the body of Christ and help give them away to pastors and teachers all over the world. And uh, so be praying that God will take care of that phenomenal organization. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's holy word, Isaiah chapter 50. I want to begin with verse number 3. Notice God's word carefully tonight. I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord opened my ear and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. Now go down to verse number 10. Who is it among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you kindle a fire who encircle yourselves with firebrands. Walk in the light of your fire and on the brands you have set ablaze. This you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God that we have read tonight. And Lord, I pray that you will illuminate our minds and our hearts and help us, Lord, to be good stewards of what you put in our path. And Lord, we thank you for this. 
Lord, we thank you that uh, you have ministered to us already. And I pray, God, that you'll take care of my brothers and sisters this week. Lord, that you'll prosper their path. Lord, that you will order their steps. Lord, I just pray that you would enlarge their borders. And God will be careful to give you the praise and the glory for it. In the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen Amen and amen. You may be seated. I alluded in this morning in passing that I wanted to teach on tonight what I felt like took me about 19 years to understand it. And after I felt like I understood it, then I wrote it down. And after I wrote it down, I gave it to a number of people and asked them to candidly begin to share back with me what they have read so I could to even fine-tune it even more. And I believe the Lord wants me to teach it tonight. I just made a decision to put it in a book form. And following our altar response tonight, there on the table you will find this book entitled What to Do When the Lights Go Out. Now, I recommend that every Christian family have at least a copy of it. We're living in a world that is being shaken, and it's not over. The Lord's going to keep shaking, and that's okay. We're not worried about that. I said, we're not worried about that. Lord's taking care of us, taking care of the brothers and sisters all over the world. But we don't have to live reactionary lives. We can live actionary lives. And I believe unsaved people who don't know the Lord are more apt to come to know Christ in a time of crisis and a time of darkness than any other time in their life. And so I recommend that each family have a copy, but then you get two others to give specifically to unsaved people so that the gospel can penetrate them in their darkness, in the most desperate time of their life, and there will be those who will respond and come to faith in Jesus Christ. What do we do when the lights go out? What do we do when the baby dies? What do we do when the doctor says it's cancer? What do we do on one day we get up and we go to work? We don't know it, but before we come back home, tragedy strikes. What happens when our loved one passes away? How do we handle it when the financial system round that we've gotten used to becomes very unstable? What happens when an employer says, you know, sorry, your skills, your talents are no longer needed here. But sir, I just bought a house. Well, what do we do when the lights go out? What do we do when darkness comes our way? Isaiah said, who is it that fears the Lord, obeys the Lord, but has zero light? How do we handle that when it comes our way? How do we keep a stability in our life and walk it out until the sun comes up again? What do we do when the lights go out. He says, who is it that fears the Lord, obeys the Lord, and has no light? Let him lean, let him trust in his God. And then he says, but if you create your own fire, your own light, you will lie down in torment. You know, we get sick, we get better, we get sick, we get better, but one day we get sick and we don't get better. Death runs in your family, It runs in my family. The latest statistics on death are one out of one. Folks, those are pretty good odds. You know what I mean? You think about it. If Lord tarries long enough, that one stat alone is probably the most important stat in our life. You don't have to be polled about this one. I hear people say all the time, people talk about these polls. I've never been polled. Well, I've never been polled either. But I can tell you this stat 
It's the most important stat of all. I really believe that Billy Graham was right when he spoke more than 10 years ago at Richard Nixon's funeral with these words. He said, there is democracy in death. It comes to us equally, and it makes us equal when it comes. What do we do when the democracy of death knocks on your door, on my door? What do we do when the surprise of darkness invades our world? I believe there are what I call diadems of darkness. I believe in times of challenge, we learn more in that time of our life than any other time in our life. I believe we will either get smaller and bitter or we will get bigger and better. I believe we'll either shrink back or we will expand who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And my friend, the Lord wants us to grow. Amen? He wants us to become like the Lord. And that's what this few days together are all about. Becoming more and more like the king of the universe. Reflecting his character in our lives. First of all, what I want to challenge us in is what I call faith's devotion. And here's the principle. Those of deepest devotion sometimes go through the deepest darkness. We don't need to kid ourselves. Just because we're devoted doesn't mean we don't ever have challenges. In fact, more people are being martyred for the cause of Christ in this 21st century than in any other previous century. I encourage you to be praying for the persecuted church. But you know what? It's not that faith did not get them out of trouble. Faith got them in trouble. Now, if you're going to get in trouble, don't get in trouble because you said something stupid. You know, we can dress like we're intelligent, but when we open up our mouth, everybody will know. Just put it down. They'll understand. And so if we're going to get in trouble, let's make sure we're getting in trouble for the right reason. You know, faith for the persecuted one is one of not giving in, one of not giving up. It's staying faithful until the end. The Bible says in Job 19 verse 8 that God put darkness in Job's path. Who did it? God did it. Was it because God didn't like Job? Oh, no, they had a great relationship going. But the Bible says God put darkness in Job's path. Now, this was a season of darkness. You know, we like to jump toward the end of Job and nothing wrong with reading about the end of the story, but it's been a while since you've gone through the book of Job. I encourage you to do it. But toward the end of the book of Job, he says that my faith became like pure gold. The price of gold is going up. Setting all-time highs. He says his faith is like pure gold. In other words, it's priceless. And how was that gold refined? Not in the sunshine, but in the nighttime. And he went through a season of darkness. Now, listen to what happened to Job. He lost his children. He lost his grandchildren. He lost his earthly possessions. He lost his health. He had a very serious sickness that came upon him. Friends began to turn against him. Then one day his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? This was a season. I know we like to get to the second half of the book of Job where it says, and God gave him twice as much as he lost. But don't think for a skinny second tonight that just because he got more children didn't mean that he didn't go to the cemetery where the others were buried. See, just because 
the sun did come back up doesn't mean that Job didn't ever reflect on what he went through. In fact, it was at the end of it where he said his gold faith became like pure gold as he looked back reflecting on how God had taken care of him as he walked through this journey. God put darkness in his path. If it's been a while since you read the book of Habakkuk, I encourage you to read the book of Habakkuk. I love the book of Habakkuk. Uh, it's one of the, what we call the minor prophets. Uh, just get past the word minor. Just because it's a small book doesn't mean it's not major. Habakkuk was major in his day. But in chapter 1, he's asking the Lord a lot of big questions. You know, it's okay to ask the Lord big questions because he's big. Now, if you ask a small person big questions, you get small answers, walk away disappointed. But God's big. Okay, God's big. Uh, uh, so it's, it's okay to ask him big questions. It's okay to ask him for big things. On Wednesday night, I'm going to speak on pathway to personal power with God. And, and God's going to challenge us to ask him for big things. Big things. It's okay to ask the Lord for big things. You know why? Because when you ask him for something big, you are complimenting him how big he is. You're saying, Lord, I believe you're so big, I'm going to ask you for this. I'm going to ask you to be a part of that in my life. And so Habakkuk is asking the Lord for big things. And he says, Lord, I've got some big questions. I need some answers. Listen to what Habakkuk says. He says, Lord, are you listening to me when I pray? You ever wonder if the Lord hears you when you pray? You ever wonder if your prayer gets higher than the ceiling? Lord, when are you going to balance the books here on the earth? You ever ask yourself, Lord, where's the justice today? Lord, when are you going to balance the books? Lord, don't you see that the righteous are suffering and the unrighteous are prospering? Lord, that doesn't seem fair to me. When are you going to put fairness back in? And the Lord says to him, he says, uh, you know, what I'm up to, you can't comprehend. You just can't understand. Now, if we go to the Lord and we ask him, Lord, give me insight on what's happening. And the Lord responds and he says, I'm sorry, what I'm up to, you cannot comprehend. Just back up. Say, thank you, Lord. I appreciate that. Appreciate that answer. But no, Habakkuk doesn't do that. He says, you have to understand, I parse Hebrew better than everybody else at the seminary. I want to know what it is that you're up to. So the Lord answers him. He says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. Now, who did that? God did that. Are the Babylonians the kind of people you want to have over for dinner? Are the Babylonian gentlemen are the kind of guys you want to date your daughter? I don't think so. Uh, the Babylonians were some of the most wicked, vile, crass people ever on the planet. And the Bible says that God raised them up. And then he said, not only am I raising them up, but they're coming where you are, Habakkuk. And when they come where you are, they're going to haul out the Israelites in the Babylonian captivity for 70 years. When God gave an answer to Habakkuk, Habakkuk came to realize it had not even gotten dark yet. He thought it was dark when there was injustice. He thought it was dark when it was not fair. He thought it was dark when he thought his prayers didn't get higher than the synagogue. But you know what? He came to understand that it hadn't even gotten dark yet. When you get to Hebrews chapter 3, now in chapter 3, Habakkuk is singing. He's made the transition. He's now come from the low spot to the high spot. He, in fact, he says, I have hinds feet in high places. He says, I've learned how to rejoice in the Lord. Is he rejoicing in the Lord because of expansion in society or the financial market? No. In fact, he says this. He says, the cattle are dead. The crops are gone. Listen to what he says. There's no cattle. There are no crops. 
We don't know how we're going to eat. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord. I have hinds feet in high places. Now, how was he able to make that transition? By what he learned in the darkness. What did he learn? In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse number 1. I won't have to finish the verse. Probably every one of us know it. This is what Habakkuk said. He said, the just shall live by faith. Now, I'm glad that Habakkuk said that so the Apostle Paul could plagiarize it when he wrote the book of Romans. It was not the Apostle Paul who first wrote the just shall live by faith. It was Habakkuk who wrote it. And when did he write it? He wrote it in the darkest time of his life. He wrote it in one of the darkest times for his nation. He said the just. Aren't you glad you're justified? Aren't you glad we don't get what we deserve? He said the just shall live. We're not just limping along. We're not moping along. No, he says the just shall live. And how do we live? We live by faith. Faith in who? In the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when did Habakkuk learn that? In the darkest time of his life. You say, well, James, I'm a New Testament Christian. Okay, let's jump to the New Testament. Here's John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in a dark dungeon cell. Things are not going well for John the Baptist. He is scheduled to be beheaded. He's about to be a foot shorter than he was the week before. Things are not going well. And so, I mean, it's dark. It's really dark. And I see John the Baptist send a text message to the Messiah. He says, Lord, it's dark here. It's so dark. I don't think it's ever been so dark. And then listen to what John the Baptist says. He says, are you the Messiah? Or should we just keep looking? Listen to what he says. Are you the real deal? Or are you a fake? Is this whole thing been a sham? Should we just keep looking? Before we're too hard on John the Baptist and may say, well, you know, for him to be questioning the very essence of who Jesus is. Do you know what one time Jesus said about John the Baptist? He said that no one has ever been born greater than John the Baptist. I know you think your uh, grandchild's pretty great, but the greatest person, according to Jesus, that's ever been born is John the Baptist. I mean, how would you like to be updating your resume? And at the bottom of your resume, put a little asterisk. And to the right of that little asterisk, these words, no one born greater. Do you know of anybody who can write that? John the Baptist could, according to Jesus. The greatest person ever born. But the greatest person who's ever been born had to walk through darkness. Now listen, if the greatest person who's ever been born had to walk through darkness, where do you think you and I stand tonight? The Lord sends a text message back to John. He says, the blind see. The deaf hear. The dead come back to life. I am who I said I was. But did John the Baptist get delivered? It's not a trick question. No, he didn't. They would cut his head off, put it on a silver platter, and bring it into the party and make sport of it. John the Baptist was standing at the finish line. This was it. The greatest person ever born who walked with Jesus, who announced that he was the Messiah, would walk through darkness. And by the way, you and I know that Jesus would say John the Baptist was the greatest one ever been born. But when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, 
And yet he would walk through darkness, crucifixion, and die a sinner's death. And come out of the grave on the third day. Now listen, if Jesus had to walk through it, if John the Baptist had to walk through it, where do you and I think we are tonight? Those of deepest devotion sometimes have to go through the deepest darkness. Don't let anybody put you on a guilt trip that if you've got problems in your life, it's because, you know, you, you just probably did something wrong. And, and now, you know, if you're out of step with the Lord, you need to get in step with the Lord. If you're unfaithful to him, you need to be faithful to him because he chastised those who he loves and he won't let them go their own way. But besides that, if you're walking in step with the Lord and you're faithful to him, sometimes it does rain where we live. There were two houses One on sand and one on rock. But how many storms were there? One storm. Storm that got the house on the sand, also got the house on the rock. And a lot of people are all house and no foundation. And my friend, the Lord wants to take care of what you don't see. It's the foundation of our lives. And if we take care of what other people don't see, when the storm comes our way, we'll make it through to the other side. In 1998, I got off a plane in London, England, and I was there in England uh, on Sunday morning when Princess Diana was tragically killed, and I was there that week, and I saw the outpour of affection from around the world. And shortly thereafter that, Mother Teresa passed away. Now, when Mother Teresa passed away, there wasn't very much fanfare when she died in Calcutta, India. And when Mother Teresa passed away, all she had was a bucket, a stick, and a pair of wore-out sandals to her name. And shortly before her death, she made this statement. Listen to what Mother Teresa said. She said, you'll never know that Jesus is all you need until all you have is Jesus. You'll never know that Jesus is all you need until all you have is Jesus. Now, when she died, all she had was a bucket, a stick, and a pair of worn-out sandals. How many of us have a little bit more than that? I'm waiting on the rest of us to be honest tonight. Yeah, you got a little more than that. And listen to what she said. You'll never know that Jesus is all you need until all you have is Jesus. Jesus is not just an answer. He is the answer. He's not just a way. He is the way. Listen to what Jesus said one time. He said, I am the way and the truth. Listen to what he says. He says, I am truth. Truth is not just a concept. Truth is not just an idea. Truth is a person. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. Here in North America, we like to talk about what is truth. I think Christians ought to reframe the conversation and move from what is truth to who is truth. Jesus Christ said himself, he said, I am the way and I am the truth. And it wasn't an idea that set us free. It was truth embodied in Jesus that set us free. Let me ask you a question tonight. How many different kinds of religion do you think there are in the world? You say, James, I'm just not sure. Well, let me help you out. There's just two kinds of religion in the world. There is true religion and false religion. You say, oh, no, no, they tell me there are hundreds, maybe thousands. No, there is true religion and false religion. In other words, there is Christianity And then there is everything else. If we don't believe that, we're in the wrong place tonight. Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth. And there's only one way to the Father. I realize we live in a time when the buzzword today is tolerance. But it's interesting to me that the people who espouse tolerance are not very tolerant of Christians. So they really don't even believe what they teach. 
we can respect other people's views, but ladies and gentlemen, there is only one way to the Father, there is only one way to heaven, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to tell people about it. We're not trying to sneak into heaven incognito without getting caught. That's not the goal in the Christian life. We want people to recognize that Jesus Christ is in us. Those of deepest devotion sometimes have to walk through the deepest darkness. Number two, it's what I call faith's development. The faith that is born in the light is developed in the dark. Faith is like film. It's better developed in the dark. Now, let's be honest with ourselves tonight. When do we grow the most? When times are not so well or when the times are very easy, very well? When is the Bible read the most? In time of sickness or in time of health? When is the prayer closet used the most? When things are challenging or when things are not so challenging? Let me tell you the kind of phone calls I do not get. I don't have a friend of mine call and say, Hey, James, everything's wonderful where I live. Would you fast with me this week in prayer? I don't get those kinds of calls, and neither do you. The faith that is born in the light is developed in the dark. Let me tell you something I'm able to do in our home back in Florida. I can get up in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning, all the lights off, and I can find the refrigerator. It's amazing to me. I mean, it's dark, and I won't even bump into a wall. I'll walk right through the door. And if we left a cookie on the counter, even though I can't see the cookie, I know where the cookie is. Why can I do that accomplishment? Because I learned where the fridge was in the daytime. Walk into a person's house that you've never been in before. Walk in the middle of the night through the front door, and you will quickly find you're bumping into this. You're hitting this over here. And then you hear the shatter of glass. You say, oh, that wasn't a good sound at all. And then you're trying to find the treasure called the refrigerator. Because you hadn't learned where it was in the daytime. So what does the Lord do? The Lord teaches us in the day so that we might walk successfully in the night. Why is it important that we're faithful to God's house? It's here where the Lord turns the light on. Pastor Stephen can be teaching a series And it's there that the Lord turns the light on. You know, the Bible says the word of God is a light unto our path. Now, you don't need a light on your path in the daytime. You need one in the nighttime. The reason we need a quiet time is because it's there the Lord enlightens us. He teaches us. And you know, when I have my quiet time, I don't say a whole lot. I just figure the Lord already knows what's on my list. I really want to know more about what's on his list. He already knows what my list is. I want to know what is on his list. Did you know it's okay for Pentecostals to get quiet? It's okay. I hope you have your quiet time tomorrow morning. You say, well, James, you have to understand, I have my quiet time on my way to work. No, that's called rush hour. If you think that's quiet time, When you get out there on the toll road or whatever it may be, close your eyes. You'll find out it's not very quiet with the breaking of glass, the bending of metal, the honking of horns. That's not where we have our quiet time. I know some Christians say, but James, I'm not an early morning person. Have you ever heard that? 
I'm not an early morning person. No, you stay up too late person. The reason you're not an early morning person is because you decided to stay up, become a late night person. You see, life is trade-off. Then somebody said, well, you have to understand I'm raising children. When we get up, it's not quiet. Now, I can identify with the tornadoes. So what we have to do is get up before the tornadoes get up. It's okay if the tornado walks in and hears you praying. It's okay for the child to walk in and see you studying the Bible. See, it's in those times that the Lord teaches us. It's in those times that the Lord enlightens us. It's the Lord puts something in our life so that we can be successful when the darkness comes. Do you ever take a Sunday afternoon siesta? Pretty sacred, isn't it? You may be tossed and turn on Saturday night, but Sunday afternoon you can be out before the light gets off. I want to challenge you if the Lord tarries next Sunday afternoon to do it a little bit differently. I want to encourage you to sleep underneath the mattress. I want to encourage you to sleep underneath the easy chair. I want to encourage you to sleep underneath the sofa. You say, why do you recommend that? Well, every once in a while I'll say, well, how are you doing? They say, well, I'm doing pretty good underneath the circumstance. You know, the Lord doesn't want us to live underneath the circumstance. It's like trying to climb up underneath the mattress to take a nap. You could suffocate. I don't recommend that. Uh, A few hours later, they may come looking for you and realize, oh, he or she passed away underneath the mattress. That's not the way the Lord wants us to live our life. We are to live our lives according to the promises of God. Uh, Warren Worsby lives in Lincoln, Nebraska. I often reflect on Warren Worsby. And I had him as a professor some years ago, and he made a statement in a class that I'll never forget. He said, we don't live by explanations alone. We live according to the promises of God. We don't just live according to explanation. We live according to promise. Now, what did Warren Worsby mean by that? A lot of Christians, well, we're excited if we can explain it. We're excited if we figured out an answer. We're excited if somehow we can understand it. And then that same Christian, when they can't explain it or understand it, they're not excited. They're depressed. They're discouraged. They're up and down, up and down, up and down. Uh, Life doesn't make sense for them. They're like a termite in a yo-yo. Everything is just spinning around. And that's not the way the Lord wants us to live our life. We're to live our lives on the promises of God. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the promises of God are not up and down. God's promises are consistent. See, God's promise doesn't change just because Libya has a civil war. God's promises don't change just because the stock market plunges. God's promises do not change just because there's difficulties in the world. No, God's promises remain the same. Not too long ago, a lady walked up to me and said, James, I'm concerned about the nation of Israel. I really am concerned about what's happening in Syria and and Iran and these other places. And and what do you think is going to happen to the nation of Israel? I responded and I said to her, I said, I'll tell you what I think is going to happen to the nation of Israel. She said, what's that? I said, exactly what the Bible says. I think that's what's going to happen to the nation of Israel. I said, ma'am, it's not my problem. I said, I don't worry about it. It's the Lord's problem. He's already said what's going to happen. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, when God says something, he's going to do it. We live our lives on the promises of God. We're not up and down. We lay our lives out on God's promise, and we strive to become as consistent as the promises of God themselves. And if you believe it, say amen tonight. We don't just pray in time of difficulty and treat the Lord like a spare tire and when things get better, put him back in the trunk of our lives. No, we live our lives according to his promises every day. We don't just tithe when things are going well. We tithe according to the promises of God. We live our lives daily according to those promises because God takes care of his people. Takes care of his people. So we don't just live by explanation. We live by promise. Where reasoning cannot wade, faith must swim. Sometimes the Lord says, get out of the boat. Sometimes the Lord says, get on a new path. Sometimes the Lord says, it's time to get going. You say, well, but I don't have it all figured out yet. You know what? By the time some Christians will get it all figured out, the world will change again. They have to go back and figure it out all over again. There comes a time when the Lord says, get going doesn't mean we presume. If God says move forward, we move forward. We don't just wait until everything is put together. doesn't mean we check our brains at the door. Jesus says count the cost before you build the house. He talks about observe and think. Use the brain that the Lord put between your ears. But the Bible also says don't lean unto your own understanding. See, so there are times the Lord says you got to get going. The faith that is born in the light is developed in the dark. The Lord wants to develop us this week. How much does it take for you to get upset? Small people get upset over small things. Bigger people takes a little more to get them upset. How much does it take for you to get upset? Do you get frustrated when you have to drive behind somebody with his or her brakes on? That's a stretching experience, isn't it? I mean, you know, you left a little late and now you're driving behind this person who keeps one foot on the gas, one foot on the brake. A lot of times people start honking the horn at the person in front of them. You know what I think the person's doing in front? I think they're laughing. I, do. I think they're doing it on purpose. I think, hey, look at this. It's my trick. I do it every Monday morning when I'm on my way to work. So we choose to rise above that. We choose to be a part of something that's larger in our lives. Tomorrow night, I want to speak on the fall of Lord Lightning. One time, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. They came back from victory. They had cast out devils. They had healed the sick. And Jesus said, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And he said, I'm giving you my authority. And that's what I want to talk about tomorrow night. Sometimes uh, Christians say, I'm going to take authority. No, you don't take authority. Authority is given. Authority is given. Lord wants to give us that authority, wants to live it out in our lives. I believe that the Lord desires us to break demonic strongholds. And I believe the Lord wants to use us to set captives free. I believe the greatest miracle of all in any of our lives is when we see somebody who doesn't know Jesus come to know Jesus and his or her life is transformed forever. And I'm going to talk about that tomorrow night. And I believe the Lord wants to do that work in our lives. On Tuesday night, I want to talk about a very serious contemporary issue, the most dangerous ism of all. I believe that we're living in a time where relativism has taken main stage and somehow, some way, God's people have lost their voice. 
And I believe that the Lord desires for us to recapture our voice and to be able to be heard in the marketplace, in the arena of ideas, where people live their lives and where they die. And I hope that you'll plan to be a part of that service on Tuesday night. And I mentioned in passing a little earlier that on Wednesday night, I want to preach on the pathway to personal power with God. It's God's desire and design for every believer to be filled and full of the power of the Spirit of the Lord. The Lord desires to develop us and help us to become larger people. Number three tonight is what I call faith's discernment. There's some things you can see in the dark that you can't see in the light. You know, um, it was a beautiful day today, and there were times when the sun was out. It was a little cloudy. And I love uh, sunshiny days. You know, uh, next time you're outside and the sun's out bright, just pause for a moment. Think about what you see. That sun is a star. It's, uh, it's 93 million miles away. That light that you're seeing took 8.3 minutes to get from where it is to where you are. The reason I'm telling you that because I know that you've been wondering about that. It takes just over eight minutes for a sun ray to get from the sun here. It travels 186,000 miles per second. It's a little faster. They drive out there on that toll road after 186,000 miles per second. You know, light travels at almost six trillion miles in a year. Wow. You know, but when you look at the, the, the sun, it, it's a star. And we're in what's called a, a solar system and that solar system is in what's called the Milky Way. I want you to see a composite picture of the Milky Way. Most um, astrophysicists believe that we're located in the southeastern portion of the Milky Way galaxy. Now, when I say where we're located, we're located 93 million miles from a star. Now, in the Milky Way galaxy, there's over 200 billion stars like the one out there just eight minutes away by the speed of light. 200 billion. That star is so big, you can take 10,000 Earths and put it inside that one star. But they say that star is small compared to some of the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Now, we're in a solar system, and that solar system has planets that go around it. Now, we used to have nine planets, but Pluto no longer qualifies. Now, we're down to eight planets. You know, when they start eliminating planets, that's not a good sound to me. And now we're down to eight planets, eight rocks that go around that sun out there. And we're on the third rock from the sun. It takes 365 days for that little rock to go around that sun. You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, heaven is up. You know, I don't know if heaven is up. This earth rotates. Maybe it's up now. Maybe tomorrow... It's down. I really don't know. I, frankly, it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, heaven's just a real place, real people, and I plan to move in someday. I don't care if it's up, down, here, there. It's just real place. Some people get so wrapped up trying to figure out the location, I think they're probably going to miss it. And so there's eight rocks, and we're on the third one. It takes a year to go around this sun. You know, in the daytime, we see that which is near. In the nighttime, we see that which is far away. In the daytime, we take the short look. In the nighttime, we take the long look. In the daytime, we get wrapped up in busyness, but in the nighttime, we get down to business. You know, it's amazing how people prioritize their life when a tragedy comes. It's amazing how people can find time for sacred things when difficulty comes. Now, the day before, they didn't have the time. The day before, they had time for 
30 hours of television that week. They had time for this. They had time for that. But now all of a sudden, they're in the midst of a calamity. And it's amazing how they can prioritize their life. It's amazing how they move from busyness to business. The doctor says, take your vitamins, take your vitamins every day. But doctor, I feel good today. Six months later, that guy doesn't feel good. And he tries to take six months of vitamins in one afternoon. And then he realizes this is not working. This is not the plan. By the mile, it's a trial. By the yard, it's hard. By the inch, it's a cinch. It's daily growing. It's daily maturing. It's daily walking it out in our life. There's some things you can see in the dark that you can't see in the light. You know, the stars are out in the daytime, but you can't see them because the sunlight eclipses the stars. You know, we wouldn't have the stars to look at tonight if we didn't have darkness behind them. I don't know when was the last time you took a walk in the middle of the night where there's no light at all, none, and just begin to walk and put your eyes on the stars. You couldn't get a glimpse of God's glory. You couldn't get a glimpse of God's greatness unless you had the darkness behind the stars. If you get really quiet when you're walking and out in the middle of the night, you can almost hear what the stars are whispering. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says the stars declare the glory of the Lord. Another verse says the stars declare the greatness of our God. You couldn't hear what the stars were whispering unless you get in the middle of the night. And you know what? It's in the time of the darkness that we see how big and how great and how glorious our Lord really is. Oh, it's not when we're just walking in the parking lot of the church on a Sunday morning. It's when we're walking in the middle of the night. This coming spring, the Lord tarries, March, they call it March Madness. Now, you know what March Madness is, don't you? 64 college teams square off. But have you ever noticed that the real big stuff doesn't take place in March? It takes place in April. I mean, for all month, they grind it out. But the championship is in the first weekend of April. So if the Lord tarries, just skip March next year. Just get over here to... Monday night, the final two minutes, and you'll just get the cliff notes of 35 days. But you let a basketball player palm a basketball and go over and dunk the ball. Pandemonium breaks out like the splitting of the atom. Everybody's so excited because somebody went over there, jumped 10 feet, dunked the basketball. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says the Lord holds the universe in the palm of his hand. We sung about that universe today, but the Lord holds it in the span of his hand, from his pinky finger to his thumb. He holds the whole universe. Now, what's the whole universe? It's not a Milky Way galaxy. The universe is at least 500 billion such galaxies containing an average of 100 billion stars each or more. And what does God do? He just walks along carrying the whole universe in the span of his hand. Every once in a while, somebody says this world is headed to the devil. That's not true. The Bible says the Lord is bearing the earth and he's going to sit it down in Hebrews 1, 1 at the throne of God. This world is headed to the throne of God. There's not a star that goes out that God doesn't know about it. There's not a star that's born that doesn't have God's permission. There's not a drop of water that falls that God doesn't see it before it drops. My friend, God is in control of this world. He wants to be in control of our lives. He wants wants to help us to walk it out in the time of darkness. We'll learn how great and glorious the king of the universe really is. Oh, there's some things you can see in the dark 
that you can't see in the light. Number four is what I call faith's danger. And here's the principle. It's better to be serving God in darkness than standing alone in self-made light. What did Isaiah say? Who is it that fears the Lord? And then he says, let him lean, let him trust in him. Then he says, if we create our own fire, we will suffer. God, I'm afraid of the dark. God, I really want the sun to come up. Lord, I'm really anxious. It's bad where I live. And what happens? People try to manipulate in the darkness. You watch how people handle darkness. People will gossip in darkness. People gossip. Did you know if gossipers come to you, that's not a compliment? Really not. We attract who we are, not what we want. Next time a gossiper walks up and wants to start talking about somebody, just ask him a question. Just point at your ears and ask him a question. Are these trash cans? Are these trash cans? And if they say, uh, no, those are ears, good. That conversation is over. Because we choose not to live our life. I said, we don't live our life down here. We choose to live our life up here. You say, well, I may lose that person as a friend. That's probably not the kind of friend you need. You know, there are two kinds of people in this life. There are those who make deposits in our life, and there are people who make withdrawals in our life. And if all we hang out are with the people who make withdrawals in our life, one day we will be overdrawn. We have to spend time with people who bring deposits in our life. You see... If darkness comes our way, people try to manipulate. They're like a man who gets up half past midnight with his flashlight to go over to the sundial to see what time it is. They just manipulate. Oh, I want some extra sleep. They move the light over here. No, I want to get everybody up. They move it over here. You know what's amazing? Is that people will twist scripture when darkness comes. People will put words in God's mouth. Even though God didn't say it, they'll say, but you know what? I've got a fresh word from God. Well, they probably had extra pizza the night before, and they think they got a word from God. Listen to me. My friend, we stop where God stops. We are not greater than the author of the book. But it's dark where I live. Yeah, it may be. But my friend, darkness never overcomes the light. Light always overcomes the darkness. And if for some reason the Lord has allowed darkness to come, Wise is the person who learns to lean on him and learns to trust in him. That's the way we handle darkness. Abraham is the father of the faithful. Darkness came in the form of a famine, Genesis 19. He packs up his bags, he goes down to Egypt, meets Hagar, and Ishmael is born in the time of darkness. Did he pray to go about going to Egypt? There's no indication that he prayed about it. He didn't build an altar. Before he left, he packed up, he goes, takes his lovely wife, Sarah, and he goes down there, and Ishmael is born in the time of darkness. You don't overcome darkness by the works of the flesh. Here's the question. How much suffering has there been in the world because Abraham did not wait on God? See, it's not just impacting our life, but it's impacting those who are coming behind us. A few months ago, my youngest daughter and I were on a walk, Priscilla, And she looked up to me and she said, look, Daddy, I'm walking in your shadow. And I thought to myself, Lord, help me to walk in a way that teaches my daughter the differences between light and darkness. 
There's some things we can see in the dark that we can't see in the light. It's better to be serving God in darkness than standing alone in self-made light. Fifth and last is what I call faith's daybreak. If your sun has gone down, it will come back up again. It will not be dark forever. Last year, I was conversing with Dr. Don Meyer, the president of Valley Forge. And, and years ago, Dr. Meyer, uh, the president of Valley Forge, he, they had uh, uh, twin children. And, and the youngest of the two uh, twins uh, passed away and is buried in the state. We were just talking. And he said, uh, looked at me, he said, he said, James, you know how you can get the, the, the sun to come up sooner? I said, Don, how can I get the sun to come up sooner? He said, some Christians like to chase a setting sun. And you know, when you think about that, it's starting to get dark. The sun's going, oh, I think I'll go that way. He said, you want the sun to come up sooner? Walk into the darkness and meet the rising sun. You can either chase the sun that is setting or have courage and faith and walk into the darkness and catch a rising sun. If your sun has gone down, it will come back up again. What does the Bible say? We may weep for a season or a night, but joy comes in the morning. My friend, I love sunrises because the sun comes up and it lets us know that the Lord is going to do a fresh work in our lives. I mentioned uh, this morning that we buried two children in the 1990s. And these two markers are Springfield, Missouri, where we used to live. And the pinkish one is our biological child, Jennifer. And then uh, the other one, the grayish one, is our our son, James uh, Paul. And um, our daughter lived for six weeks in the hospital after her birth. Our son lived for about 12 hours. My lovely wife held both of our children until they died. I stood there, and, and you can imagine as a young married couple, that was a, just a terrible time in our lives. Shortly after the passing of our son, a few weeks later, we were up in Kansas City speaking for a pastor friend, a very close friend of ours, who made a statement, and only a close friend... A real close friend can make this kind of statement. Every once in a while, we just have to listen that uh, somebody has been uh, whispered to, to the Lord and, and he has a word for us. And I, and I was listening with my lovely wife at lunch and he looked over at us and this is what he said. He said, the Lord has trust you with a pain that he doesn't trust very many people with. Don't trash it. The Lord has trust you with a pain that he doesn't trust many people with. Don't trash it. You see, a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. We all want God to trust us. We just don't want God to test us. But you can't spell testimony without spelling test. (laughs) Once we pass the test, we have a testimony. And what's the testimony? It's a story of how Jesus Christ has intervened in our lives and saved us and cleansed us and changed us, but how he continues to take care of our lives. But without the test, there is no testimony. And you see, uh, we adopted two lovely daughters in this century, and just a picture of my family there, and Priscilla is in red. She's five. And my oldest daughter, Olivia, is in black. And there's my lovely wife, Sherry. And, and, you know, you've heard parents make this statement that the Lord has a sense of humor. You've heard that. I mean, if you're raising children, you know that you can have the same environment. You can have the same house, the same mom and same dad, and yet those children be opposites. My little Priscilla, 
She was scared of the Tanzanian devil. I mean, she, uh, I mean, there's never a quiet moment when she gets up. It's like uh, it's like the space shuttle coming across every day. Now, my daughter Olivia is very quiet. Always been that way. And the Lord has allowed us to adopt two beautiful, lovely daughters. Not too long ago, I was sitting in our family room with my two daughters, and and I was looking into their Asian eyes, and I said, "Mom and Dad." had to drive through a cemetery to get to China to adopt you. And if we had not been willing to do that, we'd have never made it. There came a time when we just had to say, Lord, we don't understand this. It hurts, but we're going to keep going. My lovely wife, Sherry, she was diagnosed in June with myotonic muscular dystrophy. It's a very rare form of muscular dystrophy. It's incurable. There's no, there, you go and you meet with a male specialist, and then she will say to you, if you'd like to meet with me once a year, I can follow your path. And that's it. There is nothing they offer at all. Does that mean the Davis family packed up their bags and said, we quit? No. We get up every day. We pray. We fast. We study God's word. We're faithful to God's word. But let me tell you, you've got to get up and you've got to be faithful. doesn't mean it's easy sometimes. Doesn't mean sometimes the tears don't flow, but you got to live out what the Word of God tells us we live out. And we believe that God does take care of our family, and He takes care of your family. Listen to what King David said of old, and we know the verse by heart in Psalm 23, verse 4. He says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for my God is with me. Listen to what he says. He says, though I walk through. Aren't you glad you're walking through? Aren't you glad it's not a box canyon? He says, though I walk through the valley. Life is not just lived on mountaintops. Life is lived in the valley. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow. Now, there's only one way you can have a shadow, and that's have a light shining down upon you. If you have a light shining down upon you, you have a shadow down below you. We need to learn to thank God for the shadows because it reminds us that God's light is shining down upon us. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He describes death as a shadow. Now, sometimes shadows can frighten us, but shadows cannot hurt us. If we go out here by the highway and, and uh, park our car and get out, sooner or later an 18-wheeler will come by. And, and if we don't see that truck coming, it will cast a shadow on us. And that shadow could frighten us, but that shadow will not hurt us. You can stand there all day and let the shadows run over you all day long. But those shadows, though they run over you, are not going to hurt you. But if you choose to get out there in the highway... There's going to be a different experience that's going to impact your life. It won't be the force of the shadow. It'll be the force of the truck. But you know what, ladies and gentlemen? Jesus Christ took the force of the truck on Calvary. All we have is a shadow. The Lord took the truck. All we have is a shadow. He says, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. How could David say that? Because he knew who he was. He knew where he was. He was living his life in a valley. God's light was shining down upon him. Psalm 23 is what we call a valley psalm. When psalms were sung, psalms were not read, psalms were sung. And when the psalm 23 was sung, it was not sung by itself. It was sung in a trilogy. They would sing Psalm 22, they would sing Psalm 23, they would sing Psalm 24. 
See, Psalm 23 is what we call a valley psalm. Psalm 23 is nestled between two mighty mountains. In Psalm 22, there's a mountain. In Psalm 23, there's a valley. In Psalm 24, there's another mountain. In Psalm 22, it's called Mount Calvary. In Psalm 24, it's called Mount Zion. In Psalm 22, it's about crucifixion. In Psalm 24, it's about coronation. Psalm 22 is about the death of Christ. In Psalm 24, it's about the reign of Christ. Psalm 22 is about yesterday. Psalm 24 is about the future. Now, where do you and I live our lives? We live our lives in the valley. And we're living it out in the valley called the shadow of death. God's light is shining down upon us. We look to the left. We see where Jesus Christ died for us. We look to the right. We see where Jesus Christ is coming back for us. And we're able to say, Lord, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for my God is with me. And my friend, he is with us every day of our lives for the glory of almighty God hallelujah he's with us every day so while we're in the valley we put our trust in Jesus and I don't know where you may be on the journey tonight but the way we walk it out is by leaning and by trusting in the Lord would you please stand with me tonight as our eyes are closed in this sacred gathering tonight that's the way we walk in the darkness we lean and we trust. We lean and we trust. We lean and we rely on the Lord. And I believe tonight this sanctuary is filled with people who are willing to say to the Lord, Lord, I want to lean on you more and trust in you more than I ever have. I want to lean on you more. I want to trust in you more than I ever have in my life. You're here tonight, you say, James, uh, I'm walking this out in my life. It's, uh, it's been dark. It's been challenging beyond words sometimes. But regardless of whether we're in the darkness or out of the darkness, sooner or later, it comes to all of us. And so wise is the person who says, Lord, today, now, I want to lean on you more. I want to trust in you more. I want to rely on you more than I ever have in my life. Because none of us know what 24 hours could hold. None of us know. You here tonight, you say, James, I love Jesus. Jesus is in my heart. The truth has set me free. But I can say to my Lord and Savior tonight, without any reservation, I want to lean on Him more. I want to trust in Him more in the days ahead than I ever have in my life. And my prayer has been that all of us would desire that. Because so many believers try to do it alone. They try to gut it out with their own gifts or skills or talents or thoughts. Nothing wrong with skills and talents and gifts and thoughts. But, old friend, I'm talking about a time when your gifts and skills and talents and thoughts are not enough. You're here tonight, say, James, I want to lean on the Lord more. I want to trust in Him more than I ever have in my life.
If that's you, can I see your hand, please, in this sacred gathering tonight? Their hands be lifted all across this beautiful sanctuary. In a minute, uh, they're going to lead us in a simple chorus tonight. And I've come right here in the front on purpose tonight because I want to be the first one here tonight as a dad, as a husband, saying, Lord, I want to lean on you more. I want to trust in you more than I ever have in my life. And when they begin to lead us tonight, whether it be in the back or the front of this auditorium, I'm going to invite you to come and find a place to stand as close as we can tonight.